Hey, welcome to 2023, This Marketing Show. We're pleased to have Joe Brensman with us, best-selling author, public speaker, cybersecurity guru, all those good things. And Rick, happy to be back with you in the saddle here. Yeah, it's great to be back. You know, I saw Joe speak twice in the last, I'm going to say, three or four months, once at a uh, dealership in uh, Minneapolis and the second time at the Executive Connection Summit. So, Joe, great job. You know, mm -hmm. today, if you're a viewer, uh, we titled this thing, like, how to help you sell cybersecurity. And we, we've, it's great to have Joe on because Joe's an insurance specialist in this space. And, you know, Joe, when I heard you talk at the Executive Connection Summit, great event, by the way, in Phoenix, I thought you did an awesome job. Uh, people are still talking about, you know, some of the information you've shared there, specifically how, you know, CEOs are now responsible for their cybersecurity kind of vulnerability or impacts that happen. And you talked a lot about how insurance companies are really making moves uh, to change the game in their favor in terms of how their contracts and things are set up and really how today's business mm -hmm. leaders are naive, I would say, as to what really is going on, never mind the increase in cybersecurity risks mm -hmm. and vulnerabilities. So we wanted to have you on today to support people that are selling cybersecurity. So maybe you could talk about some of the trends you're seeing from the insurance perspective, because I think that's the undercurrent that's really creating com a compelling reason for companies, if they're not already, to revisit their cybersecurity posture. Sorry for the long intro there, but what are you seeing happening right now from an insurance perspective? Hey, thank you guys and good to be with you. Uh, appreciate the glowing intro there. So <clears throat> I would say, you know, I started my insurance journey on the ENO side, professional liability. And really what we're seeing here is they're squishing about 40 years of traditional policy evolution you know, into five years effectively. So we are seeing very rapid changes uh, really across the board. So, you know, not only are we seeing a rise arguably in the frequency of cyber events, the severity of cyber events, uh, but we're also seeing on the cyber insurance policy side, we're seeing increasing demands for specific controls be put in place. We are seeing entire industries just get cut off from various cyber insurance companies. And then we're seeing a ton of additional exclusions being put onto the policy. And so, you know, how many business owners actually read their cyber insurance policy? I would say, <laughs> despite my pleadings, not many, maybe single digit percentages. Um, I'm always really happy when someone comes back and they're like, hey, I read this, I have a question there. So, you know, kind of some of the big ticket items that we're seeing those fundamental cybersecurity controls, uh, they're always going to be in vogue, no matter how many people write an article saying that antivirus is dead, the mm. insurance industry hasn't gotten there yet, right? So, you know, things like backups, immutable backups, um, object locked permanence, 321 backup strategies, mapping to a framework, uh, having a password policy, um, all of those kind of fundamentals. Mm -hmm. You know, we're seeing just at a basic level, if you don't have those in place, uh, MFA, 2FA for email access, remote network mm -hmm. access as well. What we're seeing here is if you don't have those in place, uh, that's a big problem for an organization. And if you're a cyber insurance company and you have all of these policyholders that have much more sophisticated uh, control schemes in place and you're losing money on those guys, why would you? ever write insurance for somebody that doesn't have duo on their phones mm -hmm. as an example right like you would be insane to do that 
Um, another thing we're seeing is some very, or I should take a step back. What controls are being mandated? It just depends. Mm -hmm. It depends on the client, how big they are, what their internal mechanisms and controls are, what industry they're in, what their particular insurance company has as like the flavor of the month. I mean, it's kind of jumping all over the place. But what I would tell people is you have to start getting proactive about cybersecurity. All right. So don't wait until two weeks beforehand to say, oh, I need EDR on 95% endpoints mm -hmm. suddenly. Right. Like that's just, it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. And so what we're seeing, like from the broker side, which is where I work, is so many people are trying to get cyber insurance. The cost is going up so quickly that people are trying to shop the cyber insurance uh, policies around the marketplace. The underwriters are just overwhelmed. And so I have the personal cell phone numbers of a lot of these underwriters at the various cyber insurance companies. And I'm calling these guys. I'm like, hey, I have a $50 million grossing client. Their cyber policy renews in two weeks. Where's the quote? And they're like, oh, I'll get to it. Right. So you're, let's say you're a $50 million company. You think you're going to get special treatment. Oh no, you're not. And you may not know until 10 days beforehand that suddenly you need this new control. In which case, you know, I'm a former IT guy myself. So good luck getting that implemented. Right. So the name of the game is get proactive. The requirements are coming. You want to very comfortably say, hey, we're meeting these requirements long before an insurance company uh, places those requirements upon you, or you just won't have enough time. If you're watching or listening right now, the one thing I think we may have missed is the fact that you were an IT guy, mm -hmm. and now yeah. you're actually an insurance provider specializing in cybersecurity. So just that perspective as you talk, you know, you've got, uh, you know, the ultimate combination there to educate people, which is why we're excited to have you on. Anyway, so think of Joe as an insurance guy, not just an IT guy here talking. Go ahead, buddy. Oh, so I was going to add, there's a bunch of uh, additional exclusions being put on policies now. So things like legacy hardware and software exclusions, right? Or there's been a bunch of exclusions on these policies for years that nobody's really ever spoken about because, you know, let's be honest, uh, Insurance guys, we are not the brightest bulb in the financial services box, right? So my side of the equation has been doing an awful job actually explaining what the limitations in these policies actually are. Mm -hmm. um, so something like a legacy hardware software exclusion, right? If you're not sitting down with your MSP uh, for your QBR, your quarterly business review and going through and saying, okay, hey, what's coming up to be end of life here? Mm -hmm you're really in a bad spot, right? And I'm the only one dorky enough to actually read these policies cover to cover. Um, you could have outdated software there, right? Where let's say you have a server, it's no longer supported. Bad guy comes through that server. Hey, you may not have cyber insurance. Uh, same with some piece of uh, compromised software, something that's no longer supported. Uh, we're now seeing patching requirements right? Which is effectively just, that's just going to force companies, right? All those SMBs out there, you're going to have to get an MSP because <clears throat> I'll say as a former IT guy myself, you know, if you have some exclusion on your policy that says, hey, if you don't patch this uh, critical vulnerability, if it's a specific score or higher within so many days, right? You're not going to have coverage. 
one, the question is, does the IT guy even know that exists? Probably not because the business owner probably doesn't know that exists. And then two, can he even feasibly make that happen? And it depends, right? So, you know, I know plenty of businesses where they are very seasonal, right? So like an accounting firm, for an example, tax season comes around and kind of the general name of the game is you don't touch the computer system because people are working like 18 hours a day. There's no updates. There's no patches, nothing until tax season is, is over. Well, now that just can't happen anymore. And even assuming that they have an in-house IT folk, they're keeping track of this MITRE list and CVEs and CVSSs, et cetera, et cetera. Would he even have time to feasibly do that? Probably not, right? Because, you know, Microsoft comes out with a new patch. You know, they're the 600-pound gorilla in the room. They don't care if it breaks everything else. It's everybody else's problem to work around that patch. And so invariably, you know, Patch Tuesday came around. We're sitting there working. We're patching systems. We're testing things. Something breaks. Some of those patches get moved to next week. And it just kind of, you have this cascading effect, right? So for the average business, that's just going to force them uh, to actually hire an MSP. It's, it's too much work, right? So let me ask you this. If you were, a, um, if you were to sell cybersecurity, okay? So put yourself, you understand the insurance side. You understand the IT side, certainly. And you were in a sales position trying to approach a company and sell them cybersecurity services. May I ask like what your strategy might be or what you would say who you might engage with in the company? You know what I mean? From a strategic standpoint, we want to talk mm -hmm. to this position and this kind of the message that you would deliver if you were a salesperson, Joe. Uh, I would probably start off, uh, and obviously I'm going to be a little bit biased here, but I would start off with, uh, the general term would be like risk manager um, or really whoever is in charge of procuring the cyber insurance for that organization mm -hmm. uh, because that I think is going to start driving a lot of the conversation. That's at least how I would approach it, uh, just given my kind of background here. Traditionally, we've coached salespeople to go after the business owner, the finance leader who you know we think is going to be impacted. Mm -hmm. But that's a completely different target that uh, you know I think isn't on most people's radar. So great point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, and I think it's important that you know when we're talking about cybersecurity, as a great example, let's say you go to the risk manager, right, and you're like, hey, you know, I'd like to make sure that you're compliant with one what you put on that application, mm -hmm. which is uh, questionable, <laughs> and <laughs> two that you're compliant with whatever's in your policy, right? So the fun fact that most people don't know and this is how would i put it shocking to most people right absent a special relationship which generally you don't have with an insurance guy mm -hmm. he has no legal requirement to understand what he's selling you to even have read what he is selling you to train you on that policy provide alternatives etc cetera, etc cetera. so there are plenty of risk managers who are just going well, hey, uh, I got a cyber policy. I checked that box. They may not understand that there are these exclusions hidden on page 80, whatever, that they've never contemplated. Um, I have never, you know, th there's so many ways that that could go sideways. I would say, hey, start there and just go, okay, what's on the application? What's on the policy? Right, let's go from there. Now let's say, okay, here's what's coming down the pike. 
um, and just kind of start going through that mechanism because, you know, they may think that they have coverage for a ransomware event, but that's not technically the case here in the US. Uh, we have something called an OFAC exclusion, right? So I would just sit down with them and like, you know, review it first, sit down, ask them questions and be like, okay, do you know what this OFAC exclusion means? Mm-hmm. The answer is 99.9% no, mm-hmm. right? The answer is, okay, well, it might be illegal to pay the ransom. So in that vein, let's talk about what type of backups you have to make sure that in the event that it's illegal to pay the ransom, that you actually can back up to something, right? And you could kind of start going down that path. The other thing I would add is before you even go in and do that, you need to make sure that you're understanding sort of the statutory or regulatory regimes that that business could reasonably fall under. So mm-hmm. you could download a copy of my book for free. My next one's coming out here uh, shortly, I'll say, depending upon uh, how judicious my wife is with my, my free time. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's like if you go in uh, as a, like a technology guy and you say, hey, you guys really need backups. It's like, okay, they hear that from everybody, mm-hmm. right? If you go in as a technology guy, let's say you go to an accounting firm and you say, <laughs> Okay, you know, I've reviewed your policy. How, how are you guys complying with IRS publication 4557? Mm-hmm. What are you doing to become compliant with the new safeguards rule? Right? That's a totally different discussion. Mm-hmm. Right now, like you're on their side as opposed to trying to sell them something. Uh, and I think that would be very, very beneficial. That's great. Th- thanks for sharing that. I, again, I don't think a lot of managed service providers think that way and they they go after the traditional target i may be wrong but uh thanks for sharing that so as you you know as you look through your lens and i think this is why you're you know popular in terms of speaking and your books and your youtube following because i think this is a new frontier it's like the wild west for a lot of us right that uh are used to a structured environment and you've shed a light on how unstructured this really is um what do you think business leaders, like if you were a business owner right now, what do you think that they need to be aware of that they should do immediately? If you if you were like, let's say not so much a corporation, but let's say you're a mid-sized company business owner, privately owned, like what, what do you think should be in their mindset given, you know, what you know? Uh, so I will give them the same advice that I gave myself last weekend, which is, Sit down, figure out, okay, when is this hardware going to be end of life? And just go out and buy new stuff, right? So I went out, got two brand new computers, right? Because I'm like, all right, these are going to be end of life in the next two years. Went out, got uh, two new cell phones as well for our business uh, because those were going to be end of life. Now, the reason that I'm saying that is because geopolitically, what we're looking at is potentially massive sanctions on China to the same degree that we have sanctioned Russia, right? So uh, to kind of like parrot Peter Zion here for a little bit, there's a big row right now in the international community due to the war in Ukraine, obviously, right? And I believe Secretary Blinken just went over because China was considering providing uh, additional aid, right? In the term, um, I'll say in the vein of military materiel to Russia, right? So if that are, if If that is to occur, we have to start thinking, okay, what types of sanctions could we actually impose on China? Well, as it turns out, there's a lot of hardware that's made in China. And so I would say, hey, if you're a business owner out there, you got to start thinking, 
this legacy hardware software exclusion, it's coming. You either already have it or it's coming and you may not even know that it's going to be here until seven days before your policy renews. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, go out, sit down with your MSP and say, okay, what's coming up to be end of life here, right? If it's in the next two years, I would say, just bite the bullet, buy new hardware now, get that off your list. So that way you're not looking at potential disaster. Um, the reason I say that is because we have expended so much material, right? Pushing it over to the Ukraine conflict. Um, you can actually see we have, we have plenty of uh, theater commanders right now saying, hey, we don't have enough for our own US military to wage a war right now, mm -hmm. right? Like the Navy in particular came out and was like, hey, we have to, we have to replace a lot of stuff because we were running very, very low. Right. And that stuff's not cheap. So if China is to provide lethal aid to Russia or if China is to invade Taiwan, right, like demographically, there's a whole underlying reason on why it would have to be in the next couple of years as opposed to 10 mm -hmm. years from now. If that is to occur, like you can't just build a new server factory mm -hmm. in Tennessee overnight. I mean, that would be that would take billions of dollars. There's hundreds of supply chain points. Um, and what we're seeing right now is effectively like the collapse of globalization in real time. So I would say, set your business up for success in the next five years, go out there, buy new hardware, sit down uh, with whoever's providing your technology, even if it's a, an MFP this time, so a multifunction printer, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? I was, I was at uh, the same conference you were, <laughs> right? <clears throat> Where are all of those printers being made? Or the vast majority of them, I would say. Mm -hmm. probably in China, right? That could literally end overnight. And business owners never think of this, but a printer is just a computer on their network mm -hmm. that does a very specific job. Mm -hmm. And so if that printer is a legacy printer, it's no longer supported because you just can't get one or you didn't want to, to spring for the, the latest and greatest model. Mm -hmm. You could have a huge vulnerability and potentially no cyber insurance if something goes through that particular avenue. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you, you have another unique lens. I, I know you spent years in the military. Thank you very much for your service, by the way. Um, so I know you speak with some familiarity with uh, that perspective. You know, one of the things as well that caught me uh, is something new for me anyway, was the, the vulnerability of the CEO should something happen in a cybersecurity breach. Are you okay to speak into that before we wrap up? Because I, I don't think most salespeople understand the compelling reason for the business owner uh, in terms of personal liability. Yeah, so um, amongst all the other reasons that I never sleep, uh, I went out and got a master's in cybersecurity law. <laughs> so I was really interested in the legal side of all of this. Uh, and I had pretty much expended all my Google Foo points uh, trying to look this stuff up. So then I went to law school. Um, <laughs> there, there's a very interesting new case out there called FTC versus Drizzly. Uh, and I have a synopsis of this on my YouTube channel, but I think every CEO needs to be aware of this because the commissioner of the Federal Trade Commission, who, by the way, yes, they've gone after billion dollar companies. They've also gone after sole proprietors, defunct organizations, small businesses, what they have said is they are tired of CEOs 
running organizations, they get hit by some type of cyber event, and then the CEO just moves on to the next. So this was the first time ever they put a 10-year personal consent order on the CEO of Drizzly, uh, a guy with the last name of Relis, R-E-L-L-A-S. And the interesting point of that is that consent order follows him no matter where he goes. So he could switch companies. There is still a litany of mandatory cybersecurity controls that have to be implemented. There's the FTC can walk into your business at any time. You know, there's all of these third-party assessors with specific credentials that you have to get to do this stuff, to then package it together, to put to the FTC. The moral of the story is, watch the video, but the gist of it is that has effectively made that guy a pariah. Because if you're a board of directors and you're looking for a CEO, Mm -hmm. well, who are you going to hire? The guy who comes with baggage from the federal government or the guy who doesn't come with baggage from the federal government? Right. And, you know, if you own your own business, it's like, okay, well, your business could fall victim to this FTC 20 year consent order. If you're a CEO somewhere and you're still thinking about moving up that food chain, that will end for a decade if the FTC comes after you. And what's important to know is the FTC, right, they're kind of setting the gold standard here. And then from that, that's when we kind of see the fallout go out to other various uh, verticals within the government to other state attorney generals, right, who are kind of using that as like their blueprint uh, moving forward there. So, yeah, watch the video to kind of get the full context there. But like, hey, CEOs, same thing could apply to CIOs, CTOs, CISOs within the organization, um, even potentially CFOs. All of that could apply to them personally. So unless they want to, unless they're very sure that they will absolutely have a job for the next decade at that one company, no questions asked, which is very unlikely. Uh, they need to take that seriously because that could be a very big problem. Well, I know uh, in a room of about 300 people, there are a lot of people that are uneasy, uneasy when you were talking <laughs> about that because I think that was a new, uh, you shed some new light on that in terms mm-hmm. of the CEO's personal responsibility. So, you know, as we wrap up here, Joe, thanks again for joining us because I think uh, you got a great message for so many people, not just, you know, the managed service providers that we support from selling cybersecurity, but you're doing a great job educating, you know, from different perspectives, IT, insurance, uh, et cetera. So, you know, for me, takeaways today would be, um, you know, if you're selling cybersecurity, I thought your point about, you know, going and engaging with whoever the risk manager is, whoever manages the insurance relationship, that's a fresh frontier. I thought that was a great idea you had there and going through the policy more on the customer side. I thought that was awesome. I know I thought it was funny how you said, not funny, actually, it's kind of uh, lighthearted humor, I guess, in that the insurance person has no responsibility to understand nor whatever. And I've talked to insurance people since I heard you speak and they validated that hundred percent. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so, uh, and then you talked about refreshing hardware and stuff like that, which would be music to the ears, of course, to uh, the audience that we speak <laughs> to. But I know there was a lot more you covered today, but I think from a selling cybersecurity standpoint, I think you uh, got some great ideas that not enough people are using right now. So thanks uh, so much for jumping on today. Now, I know Melissa's got a question where do we get a hold of you? Or if someone wanted to, you know, follow you, et cetera, you know, what might that be? Yes, I've heard you mention YouTube and your books online and your website, all the things. So yeah, uh, yeah. So if you just 
uh, internet search my name. I'm kind of all over the place. Uh, you can go to my website. It's thebrunsgroup.com. That's B-R-U-N-S-G-R-O-U-P.com. Thebrunsgroup.com. Uh, you can download my uh, latest cyber insurance and cybersecurity law book there for free. So that'll help out you, your sales team, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you can find me on YouTube. Just search for Joseph Brunsman. I have a whole YouTube channel there with probably well over 100 videos now. Um, I try not to make them hyper-technical, but I still get the point across. Uh, so they should be somewhat entertaining and useful for everybody. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Of course, just search for my name. You can find me on Reddit. Uh, I'm pretty active in the, uh, the MSP space there. I'm Joe underscore cyber. So you can find me there. Uh, you know, if anybody has any questions, my email's out there. So they can just give me a holler. All right. So you're not planning on sleeping anytime in the future. <laughs> no. Anyone no. can get you from anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And I'm currently writing my, uh, my fifth book actually is on uh, insurance and risk management for MSPs. So that is... Uh, you know, I was a robotics major in college. I was not an English major. <laughs> and so <laughs> thank God for AI and spell check. <laughs> well, that's good. Thanks every time. Hey, thanks very much for joining thanks, us Joe. today, Joe. Really appreciate it, Melissa. And we'll see you next time on this marketing show. Thanks so much. Thank you.